Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Where can you get the best medical information anytime and anywhere? Right here on The Smartest Doctor in the Room. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Mitchell. I hope everyone had a nice Thanksgiving. We're actually, I'm actually recording this the day after Thanksgiving, so it'll probably be released early next week. I hope everyone had lots of delicious turkey, hopefully no food fights or other arguments with your family over politics and getting ready for the upcoming holiday season. Today is a solo podcast, but on a subject that really affects all of us. And before I go into it, I'm going to ask you, if you're at home, please go over to your medical medicine cabinet and take a look at the medicines you are uh, currently using. Go ahead. I'll wait until you come back. Now, if we played this game and I asked you which of your medicines was potentially the most dangerous with long-term side effects, for example, like cholesterol medicine or blood pressure medicine or asthma medicine, I think you would make a, you wouldn't get it right. And I'll tell you why. Surprisingly, in my opinion, the most dangerous medicine in your cabinet is most likely the -the over-the-counter medicines that you are taking every day without a prescription. You may ask why. Well, when you listen to the rest of this podcast, I hope to give you some deeper thought as to why you are taking that medicine and why you need it on such a regular basis. So, you know, rightfully so, most of us are concerned about our prescription medications and the possible side effects, both short and long term. And this, of course, should be evaluated by you and your doctor, carefully every year, sort of reassessing the risk-benefit ratio of taking a specific medicine. But the biggest mistake I tend to find over and over again are the medicines and even the supplements that we have in our medicine cabinets that we take on a daily basis, automatically, for long periods of time, without carefully thinking or assessing if this is still safe for our health. And I think that we tend to believe that over-the-counter medications and supplements are extremely safe because we don't need a prescription for them, but that's not really true. So that really is the first misconception. Because a drug or a supplement doesn't require a doctor's prescription, it's safe. Now, many medications that are over-the-counter have been FDA approved, and at one point were most likely prescription, And they become over-the-counter because they've been around for many, many years, and they lose their patent protection. And so the drug company tries to make money by just making it available without a prescription. And they tend to be generics on the market. Um, But just because a medication is older and we've been around for so long, doesn't always make it the best option. In fact, in, in certain cases, newer medications are actually better and safer. The bigger problem also is that in many cases, we all self-diagnose a problem without seeing a doctor and start taking this medication uh, and continue to take this medication for long periods of time without an evaluation. Why is this bad? Well, you're most likely masking an underlying medical problem that could have more potential harm to your health. So let's go over some examples that I tend to see commonly in my practice and that I think you should at least be aware of and 
consider if you're taking on a regular basis. So let's start with the acid blockers. Now, all of us at some point, maybe right after Thanksgiving, you know, experience some heartburn or gastric reflux. And, you know, we go to the pharmacy and go to the aisle where it says, you know, uh, indigestion relief. And we look through and see all the different choices. And there are some medications there that have been around for many, many years. They're called the H2 blockers, uh, like Pepsid, Famotidine. Uh, that's the generic name of it. And it does give people relief, which again, on a short-term basis is fine. Uh, the other medications that are in that aisle uh, are called like Prilosex or Nexium, and they're called proton pump inhibitors. Those also surprisingly are over the counter now. Those are very potent medications that block down the production of acid in your stomach. And that's something I want to get into about using that type of medication. And again, those medications don't really give you immediate relief. So people who take it are surprised when they feel like they don't get better right away. So they start taking it every day. You know, again, if you start to use these type of medications, though, on a regular basis, or you feel like you need it every day and with most meals, then there's a problem. And that's where I think uh, a careful evaluation is necessary. Uh, of course, if you can figure out what particular foods are triggering a reaction, like unfortunately that delicious uh, marinara sauce with your pasta or on a pizza, or after drinking alcohol, which again, you enjoy doing, I think you have to seriously take a look and see by avoiding those foods or beverages whether you can make a serious reduction in your symptoms and not have to rely on medications. Uh, the problem again, as I mentioned with those newer acid blockers, the PPIs, they're so potent that they actually um, increase the stomach pH, mean, making it more alkaline, which actually makes it harder for you to digest food. They also make it harder for your body to absorb mineral and vitamins. And that's why we, I see in my practice that patients who are on those for long periods of time tend to have low either magnesium or B12 because their stomach and then the intestines can't absorb those you know, key nutrients. And of course, with a lot of those types of medications, patients get constipation, which is extremely bad because now you're not really getting rid of toxins in the body. You know, I remember in medical school when uh, I was learning about you know, the, in pharmacology uh, about the physiology of the digestive system. And they were talking about uh, the development of these proton pump inhibitors. They were originally intended for people that had actually pancreatic cancers that were producing so much acid uh, in the stomach that, you know, this was the only thing that seemed to help heal the ulcers in the stomach. And then, you know, many years later, I'm in residency and then clinical practice, and then I see these drugs are available. And in the beginning, they were really meant to be for a two to six week course, the maximum. And today, people are told to be on this for life. And I, I think it's a mistake. Uh, I think what is worthwhile, if you're finding that you're on these medications for long periods of time, to see your doctor, even see a gastroenterology specialist, consider possibly an endoscopy or an H. pylori breath test uh, or a what I call a SIBO breath test to find out why you're having these digestive issues 
and then make an intelligent decision with your physician as to whether these are the appropriate medications for you to take. Okay, let's move on to pain relievers. Good old acetaminophen, which we know as Tylenol, and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications, which we mainly know as Motrin and Advil. They're both the same thing, just different doses. And people use this for various problems, ranging from headaches to arthritis. And people, again, from a lot of good marketing, tend to think of acetaminophen as the safest pain reliever. They are familiar that non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are more powerful and have been known to cause like stomach ulcers. Now, again, I'm not saying that if you have a headache once in a while or, you know, you're, you have a back pain for a few days and you really can't move that taking these type of medications are not beneficial and they're not going to kill you. But when you find that you rely on these medicines day after day, month after month, again, you have to ask yourself the, the difficult question, why do I need to take this medicine every day? And if that's the case, again, I think it should prompt you to see your physician to evaluate what's the underlying cause either of your headaches uh, or your joints. Can you do something more natural uh, to, to alleviate these symptoms? Uh, so again, I think it's a warning sign. It's so easy to use these medications day after day, but by taking a good hard look, you can hopefully get to the underlying issue. Now, another medicine that was originally known as the original pain reliever is now a heart medicine, and that's aspirin. And that, again, too, there's a lot of, I'm not sure the controversy is the right word. I, I would say, you know, appropriate selection. Who should be on aspirin for heart issues? Uh, aspirin is a potent blood thinning medication. Uh, as many of you know that if, before you're going for a, any kind of surgical procedure, sometimes even, you know, a dental procedure, your dentist wants you to be off aspirin for at least a week because you can get excessive bleeding. So, and with patients that are trying to prevent heart disease or have had a heart attack, I think, again, the risk-benefit ratio should be carefully discussed with your physician because, again, aspirin comes in different dosing. 81 milligrams is typically all people need. The 325 milligram is typically what people use more for pain relief. So I think with some good medical advice, you can make uh, intelligent decisions. Another medication uh, area that is really close to my heart has to do with asthma medications. You know, as I saw for many years, a lot of uh, patients that suffered with chronic asthma. And I was a little bit disheartened to see that primatine mist came back on the market. Uh, this was like the original asthma inhaler because it actually contains uh, epinephrine, which is a very potent medication. The other asthma medications, uh, such as albuterol, are only available through a prescription, although in uh, many other countries, especially Europe, you can get them without a prescription. So why am I concerned about primatine mist if you're not seeing a doctor and you're, you go to the pharmacy and you've been having some wheezing and you have asthma and you're like, oh, I don't want to go see a doctor, is that unfortunately primatine mist not only opens up the lungs, it also is a very strong stimulant of the heart. So this is not good for anybody that has potentially any cardiovascular disease. And again, it's still not even great for young people that have... Uh, 
that have asthma because again, it's so potent that in, if it's overused, it can actually even stimulate an arrhythmia, you know, a rapid heartbeat that could be dangerous. The other problem with primatine mists is that it does open up the airways, but it doesn't unclog the mucus that builds up in the lungs. This is what we call allergic inflammation. And again, if you're needing an asthma inhaler on a regular basis, you should consult with your doctor because you probably need a combination inhaler that not only opens up the airways, but also cleans out the mucus and the inflammation. And these are tend to be called long-acting beta agonists that have inhaled steroids in them, which have been shown to be extremely effective and safe. You know, inhalers such as Advir is one that I commonly use with patients. But again, you don't want to be that person that gets into trouble, you know, where they've found, unfortunately, in some cases, you know, an asthmatic dead on the ground with the primatine mist inhaler, you know, still hanging out of his mouth. So again, please be aware. There is some appropriate uses of primatine mist. I've, I've used it sometimes with patients that have severe food allergies that, again, sometimes maybe forget to carry their EpiPen or sometimes are, are a little bit reluctant to inject themselves, where if they know the appropriate dosing that I teach them, they can buy themselves some time until they get um, further medical attention. On a similar subject, let's talk about allergy medications, which we all tend to think of as the safest medications you can possibly take over the counter. And for the most part, they are. However, there are significant differences which patients aren't always aware of. For example, you know, the antihistamines alone, they do cause some problems with dryness and uh, you have to watch out uh, sometimes for what we call somnolence. Some of them can make you tired, which it's important if you have a job or if you're driving. But my also biggest concern is that a lot of these products that are over the counter now have combined decongestant, such as Claritin D, Zyrtec D, Allegra D, you know, and all their generics. Now, why is that an issue? Because I've seen in my practice, even when young people in their 20s and 30s are using these medications, which they find help them breathe better, that their blood pressures start to go up, and especially even their diastolic, the lower number pressure. Patients also who use this at the wrong time, such as the evening, will have sleep issues. So I think it's really important that you, when all possible, you stay away from the combined antihistamine decongestants, which you can get over the counter. And if you're using an antihistamine all the time, I, I think also, again, it's smart to get an allergic evaluation, get allergy testing. It's easier than ever. They can evaluate what you're allergic to, figure out what your underlying trigger is. This is something I do all the time in my practice. I, you know, I do it through simply a blood test, and then I can figure out if somebody's allergic to their pets or to pollen or mold. And again, fortunately, we have what's called the sublingual allergy drops that help build up your natural immunity so you don't need to depend on these medications. Another thing that's over the counter, which is appealing for the uh, frequent snorers in our, uh, our lives, and the nasal strips do help in some of these cases. Uh, however, it's important to make sure that it doesn't overlook whether or not you suffer from sleep apnea. Uh, this is a condition very common that really patients 
don't realize they're getting less oxygen to their body. So that's why they don't get a good night's sleep and they're fatigued the next day. And it has other connected problems such as metabolic syndrome with their blood sugar and their cortisol levels are off. So again, being evaluated by a good sleep specialist uh, would be really appropriate and uh, you know, in the long-term be a benefit for you. You know, as long as we're talking about sleep issues, I think it's really also important to talk about melatonin. Now, melatonin, again, which it's surprising, is available over the counter. It's it's a hormone. And I think it's also, I've done podcasts on this in the past, talking to specialists. And I think a lot of times it's used incorrectly, the timing and the dose. Uh, for It's probably more appropriate for older patients because as we age, you know, again, to our 60s, 70s, et cetera, uh, our production of melatonin decreases, which is why so many elderly people have trouble falling asleep and staying asleep. Uh, so for them, it would probably be appropriate, but again, in a low dose, sometimes just a, a milligram or two or three milligrams the most. When you start to take melatonin over four or five milligrams, it actually has the effect of suppressing your own body's production of cortisol, which is a very important hormone. And so I caution when I see children or teens who are taking melatonin gummies and uh, hopefully trying to get them to sleep when it may be having adverse effects. So again, please check with your healthcare provider, somebody knowledgeable on the proper dosing of something that again, unfortunately is just too easy to get access to. On another issue, let's talk about constipation medications. It's one of the biggest aisles in the, in the pharmacy. Uh, so it's obviously a huge problem. And again, when people start to not go to the bathroom for a few days, understandably, they become very irritable and concerned, and they reach for the laxatives, which unfortunately, they do work. Uh, however, people sometimes develop a tolerance to them over time. And again, you're not finding out why are you being constipated? Is it something in your diet? Is it, med is it a, another medication that you're taking? Um, unfortunately, in the worst scenarios, is there some type of more serious medical condition? I mean, again, in people in their 40s or 50s, this can sometimes mask why there's an intestinal cancer. Uh, of course, we know that being constipated is terrible for you because you're not getting rid of toxins in the body and it leads to a lot of what I call microbiome dysfunction. It's one of the things that I focus so much on in my practice, getting people to go to the bathroom regularly. The couple of natural things that I do like is that I tend to always recommend to patients ground flaxseed, which is a really good uh, bowel stimulant. And it actually tastes pretty good when you grind it up fresh and you sprinkle it in your oatmeal or anything else in the morning, because that's when you want to try to have your first bowel movement of the day. The other thing that I consider to be very safe is magnesium citrate powder, which I recommend to patients to put one or two teaspoons in a glass of water in the evening, because that's tends to prepare the bowel for the next day. So again, being constipated, of course, very uncomfortable, not a good thing, but it's something that you should consider getting evaluated for if you're becoming dependent on over-the-counter laxatives. Let's move on to vaginal issues. And I know this can be a very sensitive issue for women. And after a while, they just don't wanna see a doctor that's understandable but it can be a mistake. 
I see many women in my practice with who suffer with chronic yeast infections, and they've been using the over-the-counter creams like Monistat for months without any improvement. These women really need a more thorough evaluation to figure out what is the cause of their chronic yeast infections. In many cases, their microbiome has been disrupted from antibiotics or, as I mentioned earlier, proton pump inhibitors. And to really correct the problem, they need a more potent medication, potentially just for a short period of time, and changes in their diet. And this could make tremendous uh, change in their life. Uh, I also recommend that from their gynecologist that they request what's called a new swab, which is actually a, a DNA analysis of what the potential microbes could be just to make sure is it one, is it a form of candida that's resistant? Uh, is it just candida albicans or is it uh, gardnerella or bacterial vaginosis? So again, an evaluation, extremely important instead of just using over-the-counter medications. Let's get on to cannabis and cannabis gummies. Now, again, these are a lot more available everywhere and people are swearing by them that they're curing arthritis and migraine headaches. And uh, Dr. Lisa Sanders, who I had on the podcast, who, who writes the great New York Times Magazine article, Diagnosis, had a very interesting case uh, just a few weeks ago where it was an elderly woman who was suffering terrible abdominal pain and nausea for months. And she was going, she was going for evaluations. She was seeing various different doctors and they couldn't find out what was going wrong with her. They, they did endoscopies, all kinds of imaging tests, and they couldn't find anything. And she was really suffering. And finally, one very astute doctor in taking a very good detailed history when he saw that her symptoms of this nausea, and, and he asked her a very interesting question, does your uh, nausea get better in the shower? And she said, well, yeah, it does a little bit. And he said to her, do you use uh, cannabis uh, in any form or like in gummies? And she kind of bashfully said, yes, I do. I you know, just felt funny, you know, admitting it. And I never really mentioned it to any of my doctors. And it turned out she had what's called the hyperemesis syndrome, which is constant nausea and vomiting from her body's reaction to the cannabis. Now, this happens. Some people are just more genetically predisposed to this syndrome and, and don't tolerate the cannabis. But again, it's so readily available that people aren't aware. And they just think, again, because it doesn't require a prescription, that it's safe. So... Let's get to Dr. Mitchell's law. Supplements in a pill are medicines. They are not exactly natural. And again, just to give you an example of this, and I, I tell patients all the time because I, I believe in very targeted supplements for each patient, depending what they need the most, but not taking you know, 50 supplements. It just doesn't make sense. And it also changes when a supplement is put in a pill form. And I, again, I remember a really interesting article by Lisa Sanders that it was a patient that actually got a small um, intracranial bleed in their brain. And the doctors could not figure out why it would happen. It didn't appear that she was on any blood thinning medications. And it turned out that she was taking high dose turmeric in capsules every day. And turmeric like ginger does thin the blood. 
Now, when you sprinkle a little bit of ginger powder on your food or the, your turmeric on your food, you're getting a very small dose, which maybe does thin the blood just very slightly, which may have some you know, health benefits. But as soon as you take a natural ingredient, herb, whatever it is, and put it and put it into a capsule, and now you're getting pharmacological dosing of it, that changes the whole picture. And again, I think your doctors need to pay attention to what your supplements are if you appropriately list them and bring it up. So yeah, anyway, this was, you know, really again my thinking on this. You know, again, in most cases, taking an over-counter medicine or supplement for a short period is safe and it's okay to do. But when you're taking something every day, I think you do need to focus, think about, even bring up to your healthcare provider, why am I taking this and is it overall beneficial to my health? I think it's great to be proactive in this way. Uh, and again, finding reliable sources, uh, whether it's you know from the medical literature, where, again, from your healthcare providers, or any expert is going to be the key to, to improving your health, but safely. You know, medicine in life is a risk-benefit ratio. So we all are just kind of jockeying to, to, to put our odds in best favor. So I hope this was helpful. I hope you have a wonderful holiday season. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and I'll see you next time.